I'm a Vertigo hero. I really am. Whenever right. you're ready. Whenever you're ready, John. Whenever you're ready. Go. And go. 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 Hey, it's anytime, the end of July. you want to start, just go It's ahead. the... With, three, with, two, go. one. No, you go first. Go. You go first. Yeah. One, yeah. two, three. One. I'll do it over. One, two, three. Three, three. Culture. Ah. Podcast. Welcome to the Glop Culture Podcast. Glop Culture Podcast. I'm John Podhoritz in New York. With me in New York, but not in the same place in New York. Rob Long. Hi, Rob. John, how are you? I, I'm I'm pretty good. I'm a little rattled by the constant interruptions You're of rattled. my introduction. You're rattled. I'm very rattled, but not rattled. Looking very cool. You can't see him because you don't have the Squadcast video, but looking. Very cool, very well shorn. There is uh, Jonah Goldberg in in Washington. Oh, I think you got a, you got a nice haircut there, Jonah. Oh, thank you. It, it, You're welcome. I, it's um as a good conservative, it's it's mostly the product of neglect, but I appreciate that. Oh, well, I, think, I mean, I think benign looks, neglect. Benign neglect was not a conservative benign. policy. Benign neglect was a <laughs> benign neglect was a neoconservative, maybe a neoconservative policy. Anyway, the benign neglect uh, becomes you. I appreciate that. Um, I, I, I have to report very sadly that our own Rob Long. Wait, wait. Why are you reporting this? Go ahead. I mean, I mean, you report it. I <laughs> no, no, was, you, I was you, just transitioning. Uh, you report, I decide. I'm not transitioning. Okay. Except verbally. Okay. Well, to true. the next stage of, oh, of this see. very, very uh, dilatory club culture podcast. Wait, wait, Rob, wait, 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 tell everybody where you've been. When you said you were not transitioning, I was thinking that this was going to be the great gender reveal podcast for John Pedro. Exactly right. What will we set fire to stuff? I uh, see him. What color would the smoke be, I wonder? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. See him. Um, you want to talk about my illness? Should we talk about my let's, illness? Let's talk about, I, let's talk about illnesses. Illness. Illness, well, but I, I don't, we only have time for – we only have time and sponsorship for one illness. Um, I uh, went to the hospital last week. I had uh, I was dizzy and falling down and um, throwing up. And um, you go to the hospital and you say you're dizzy and falling down and throwing up. And they say, and and how old the gentleman are you, sir? <laughs> or, or actually, they say date of birth, and then you give it to them, and then they look into they they they, they go into the little microphone in their lapel at the, at the emergency room on Seventh Avenue, and they say. Stroke team to the front. Stroke team to the front. <laughs> and then they look at you like, it's don't don't worry. It's just we have to do that when anybody comes in and presents with stroke. So I went into, for 48 hours, I was in the uh, hospital land. I was in the emergency room, and they scanned me and MRI'd me and everything. Um, and then it come, and then I was, was in, literally, they took me in an ambulance to Lenox Hill Hospital, and they gave me an MRI uh, 18 hours later. That's also entering hospital land. It's, it's like kind of airport plus 10 hours. And they found nothing except uh, vertigo. So I have vertigo, which is a uh, two, cause, two possible causes. One is mechanical, a tiny little piece of crystal breaks off inside the little iPhone things inside your brain or inside your ear, which keep you upright. Or it's an inflammation caused by something. And mine, unfortunately, is the second. It's an inflammation caused by something. So I'm on steroids and uh, kind of wobbly. Um, I'm, I'm now in the, um, the Dean Martin phase. Unsteady, but kind of holding it together. <laughs> That's where I am, uh, and I've been. Uh, but I, I have to report the American healthcare system is fantastic. Everyone is really smart and good. 
All of the doctors have watched doctor TV shows, so they're all behaving exactly as you expect them to, and they all look sort of clean and clean-cut and smart, and, and then they are all clearly – my first neurological consult, I'll, I'll share two anecdotes, and then, I'm, you know, then I will fall silent. The first uh, uh, neurological consult was like – you always see five doctors, never one, so five. And uh, they're all asking me questions and putting their finger up and making me follow a finger. And then one of them in the back, the, you know, they're all young, you know, said, um, can I ask you a question? Have you recently had your hair cut? And I looked at them and said, yes. And you could see the other doctors just deflate, like, damn it. I thought I was going to be the doctor house of this. He's the doctor <laughs> house of this. And it turns out sometimes when you get your hair cut, if they put you in the salon chair and you go back, too fast, you can get uh, vertigo. Um, that was not the case for me, but he won that round. The second thing is there's a very elderly gentleman. Uh, no offense, John. There was a very elderly gentleman next to me. Um, despite my, uh, what I thought, pretty luxurious writer's guild health insurance, you still share a room when you go in at the last minute, who uh, is, you know, he's, uh, he's holding on. He's, he's a sign that we are medical technology has allowed us to live beyond the times that we can potentially enjoy. So he's miserable and moaning and miserable uh, and miserable and pressing the button and the nurse is coming. And then all the nurses, the most of them are like from, not from here. So there's like kind of a Jamaican little to, Oh, mister, you're sitting in your own poop again or whatever it is. Right. <laughs> and basically they have to clean them up all the time. And it's kind of weird. I don't and know what accent that was. That was I don't like know. Dick, that was the Dick Van Dyke. That was some general <laughs> Dick Van yeah. Dyke failure. I'm not but, sure why. I'm literally suffering from a neurological disease. So anyway, so it's kind of miserable. I'm sort of sitting there and I'm like waiting to get out and like, or just for something to happen. And there's five nurses, you know, with 12, 24 inches from me, uh, changing this man's catheter and, and, and basically wiping up his filth. And at that moment, another nurse comes in and says, Mr. Long. Your tuna sandwich is here. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, I'm going to eat this tuna sandwich. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to eat this tuna sandwich right now. And that's um, kind of when you know that uh, you're entered hospital land. So that, those are my two anecdotes. I will now – let's talk about superhero movies. Oh, no, no, hold on, hold on, hold on, question. Uh-huh. First of all, our for observations and a question. First, I am shocked that when you enter a hospital saying you are dizzy, vomiting, and having trouble standing – People don't first ask you, and how much did the gentleman have to drink? Um, and then second, yeah. Yeah. did anyone at any point ask you to repeat back the words person, woman, man, camera, TV? <laughs> no, but uh, they did ask me something, but I, I presented not drunk. I presented pale, wobbly, in distress, and, and drenched in my own sweat. Um, so they kind of went right to uh, stroke. Um, but they did keep asking my date of birth, often what day it was. Uh, they, they, you know, they, they wake you up all the time, like every two hours to say something like, Mr. Long, who's the president? I'm like, come on. Um, even like, I, I don't ha- I, I'm fine. Even you know it's Ron Klain. <laughs> did, did you like, have you checked to see whether like you forgot like the letter H? I did uh, – was so uh, – uh, when I worked with Bob Newhart, uh, Bob Newhart once said he really wanted to do a show where he could play drunk because he said – Bob is a, is a lovely and very unassuming person, but he was very proud. He said, I am the best drunk you've ever seen. 
And he, in fact, is the best drunk. He's an insanely talented drunk. I mean, he, he played drunk for the whole episode and was just extremely funny. And his technique is simple. Because you, if you want to play somebody who's incapacitated by alcohol, you, you have to play somebody who is trying desperately to appear completely 100% sober. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so everything is super careful that you do and say, and the audience knows you're drunk, and it's hilarious, and it is hilarious. So I was kind of doing that, overcompensating by trying to be very deliberate, and <laughs> and, and, and then once – I think I forgot some, like, incredibly obvious thing because I was trying so hard to concentrate that I kind of flummoxed myself, and I, I, I think I may have um, extended my stay in the hospital by a few hours while they said, maybe we shouldn't let him go. He doesn't seem to know what Lenox Hill Hospital is. So, Can I uh, point out that you, you just said the American healthcare system is great, right? So Fantastic. I want to so quote you something from a Dr. Liana Wen, who was one of these covid stars right uh, epidemiologist she has a column in the washington post she is a chicken little sky is falling people need to put masks on their masks and masks on their eyeballs and seal themselves in you know polyurethane and and everything and she is happy as a clam yeah. that we're back to some yeah. masking regime she is so happy anyway she gave an interview to the wall street journal in which she said dismissively, that America has great sick care, quote-unquote, but the problem is we don't, quote, incentivize preventing catastrophic outcomes in the first place, unquote, okay? So basically what she's saying is when you're sick, this healthcare <laughs> system is great. <laughs> when you're not sick, it's just awful. Yeah. Okay? This is public yeah. health thinking. Yeah, this yeah. is the public health theory. These are the people who are running our lives and have been running our lives for a year and a half, which is, sure, it's great when you get sick and they cure you. <laughs> right. But, Mr. Long, we can't do anything about your dizziness, but we are going to incentivize your long-term wellness plan. Right. Or, my plumber is fantastic when my toilet's clogged, but he does nothing to prevent it from being clogged in the first place. He's yeah. just totally useless. <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm, being quite, I'm being quite serious, though, about this whole thing. So we're, we're recording this on the day that the CDC is yet again recommending all indoor masking for everyone vaccinated and unvaccinated. Right. Um, anywhere that case, the cases of positive testing are 50 out of 100,000 tests. Okay, so effectively, anywhere except Sitka, Alaska, or whatever that island is by off way, of Alaska that is just the, name, the right, that whatever the place is that is the you know International Falls, Minnesota, right. or something like that. So far, I've anywhere been to all aside of these from places, that. Well, you're a, you're. I mean, okay, where haven't you been? That's like totally obscure. Okay, I'm, I'm screwing up on the obscurity facts here. Yourself. You've never right. been to your. You've ever been to you. You've been to paradise, but yeah. you've never been to you. Right. Anyway, so this is the day, and you know they're just thrilled. They're thrilled. Yeah, they, they love it. Want us yeah. to live under their writ and their edict. I, I also uh, can I just make it a broader point. I'm not. I mean, first of all, just having and now that I'm an expert. First of all, I'm a, I'm a vertigo hero. You are, you know, you keep not all heroes, heroes wear capes. I'm a not all heroes wear capes. First responder. I what responded a, to it. 
Vertigo, I would say Vertigo Survivor, right? Isn't that the right no, nomenclature? No, but he's still, he's I'm, living I'm, I'm with Vertigo. I'm, no, I'm you're living too. with Vertigo. <laughs> yeah. No, no, you're um, not surviving it. You're living with I'm li- it. I'm driving that, it. That takes you out of heroism. Right. You're a Vertigo Thriver. You know what I'm doing? Not just a survivor. I'm, in, I'm inviting it in. <laughs> uh, you're a Vertigo I, I, American. I would also say that at no point did any, uh, no, no one in my uh, healthcare odyssey was interested in COVID for policy at all there was they were all just really focused on you know methodically and, and pleasantly and and i very compassionately the everyone says hope you feel better feel better man they all they're all, they're all everyone the, the, the person wheeling me into the mri said that um they, they're all just focused on 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 outcome which i i completely completely appreciate and respect it the, I, I actually think it's a larger point i don't think that we i don't think that we as a culture can are existing in anything other than a total freakout mode. I mean, if you weren't freaking out, COVID, we didn't need COVID. People were like telling you that you were all going to die from net neutrality and from uh, uh, climate change. Like we've been at eleven now for eleven you know, ever. Um, remember the, the remember when things have spun out of control under the George W. Bush administration. Uh, so I, to me, it feels like the, I don't think these people in the healthcare policy are special in any way. I think that they are, they are tasked. They are right now front and center. They're the stars of the show, and like all stars, in, like all the actors in the play, they're insane. They're only they only behave on an incredibly, incredibly neurotic level. We are in we are insane. The country should put some terrorist organization should put Klonopin in the reservoirs in New York. D.C. and Los Angeles, and the country would get so much better so quickly. So a terrorist organization would help us, would help heal us? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> I think that they, every, uh, I think those people need anti-anxiety meds. Right. They need to chill. I agree. It should also be gassed, in, or it should be put in gaseous form and piped into every cable TV yeah. studio. Yeah, um, exactly. And not to get metaphysical about all of it, but having written a book on some of these themes, I think human beings are wired to worry about stuff. Mm-hmm. And when you take away all the saber-toothed tigers <laughs> and you keep no, that's go- true. goosing longevity mm-hmm. and our poor people live the way would be considered rich not very long ago, um, people got to focus on something. And so whether it's climate change, I mean, if I have to hear one more person, look, climate change is real. I got a problem with climate. You know, we should do yeah. something about climate change. Fine. Right. If I hear one more person tell me that it is an existential extinction level event, um, I'm going to lose it because it's 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 mm-hmm. neither of those things. Oh, it's, you're going to lose it. We, we, you're going to watch <laughs> you lose it every day for the rest of your life. No, because someone's going to say it every there single is, day. There's actually a. I mean, as, as you two know, and as our Glop listeners know, and of course all Ricochet members know, because they can talk about it all the time. Um, and if you're not a Ricochet member, you should join Ricochet.com. That's the network that brings you this wonderful podcast. Um, uh, I have been doing a deep dive into like the the brain and psychedelics, mm-hmm. which has nothing to do with my. Uh, by the way, nothing to do with my uh, 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 vertigo. I actually asked the team of neurologists. Oh, doesn't yeah. it now? Yeah. yeah. It how does, I, I how do you explain entering the hospital with that bloody hatchet in your hand? It's <laughs> <laughs> a coincidence. Mind your business, doctor. I'm here for. <laughs> um, uh, the, uh, cortisol is this incredibly powerful hormone that is this, uh, enables the bo- human body to, ma- to get through stress. Uh, so when you're being chased by the saber-toothed tiger or you're under stress, cortisol is a long-term, it's not adrenaline, it's a long-term hormone. 
what it does is it reduces the amount of, of dendrites on your neurons over time because you experience less, there's less impulse, the idea is to get through this crisis. We still have these incredible cortisol uh, experiences when we're really not in any peril. So we've kind of like this, it's like a shadow limb. We're like behaving as if we're about to be d ex extinguished and we're not. And that is, uh, I believe, you heard it here first, that is the root cause of a lot of the depression, anxiety, psychological problems that we have. And, um, and I will now read to you a poem. <gasps> a poem? By the a great Sufi um, poet Hafiz. Here it is, very quick. I'm and out. You, and, you know, just, 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 I'm, a, I'm a roomy man myself. I'll <laughs> go with this Hafiz. That's Here like, it is. That's, yeah. It's a poem entitled Find a Better Job. Now that all your worry has proved such an unlucrative business, why not find a better job? Thank you. That is, that is, that is beautiful. And uh, puts me in mind of the fact. I want to smash that guy's guitar against the double house wall. <laughs> I gave my love a story that had no Sorry. <laughs> I was just going to say that the only Sufi poet I ever heard of was Rumi, and now I know why I never heard of that guy on Peace. This is um, Islamophobia. I, I like the Sufis. Nobody, <laughs> nobody doesn't like love the Sufis. They're <laughs> mystics, and they whirling. They have whirling, whirling dervishes. Singing dervishes. There's nothing... Better than a Sufi, what except that, um, Tommy John underwear. What's that old? Uh, oh, sorry, you're okay. Yeah. There's nothing, no. or you know, they're okay. they're equivalent because Apollo is Tommy John's newest and most advanced men's underwear. <laughs> it is with oh. a with a performance grade dry release fabric blend, exclusive to Tommy John. It's Tommy John's latest comfort innovation. You can't get it anywhere else. Apollo men's underwear is proven to keep you drier and up to seven degrees cooler than regular cotton underwear. That's why Tommy John doesn't have customers. They have fanatics. Apollo underwear soft, supportive, stretches for the perfect fit every day and is available up to size 4XL. With over 15 million pairs sold, men across America love Tommy John underwear because, yes, Rob, there's no more flopping. There's no more sticking. And there's no more chafing. And like all Tommy John underwear, Apollo comes with the best pair you'll ever wear, guarantee, or it's free. Tommy John's new Apollo men's underwear is high-end for your rear end, and you can't get them anywhere else right now. Get 20% off your first order at TommyJohn.com slash Glop. Go to TommyJohn.com slash Glop for 20% off. TommyJohn.com slash Glop. See site for details. And we thank Tommy John for sponsoring the Glop podcast. I think we want to amend ourselves slightly here to say... It is not that COVID is not a threat and was not a threat. 600,000 people are dead from COVID in the United States alone, 3 million across the world. This is a serious pandemic. The question is whether the public health response is helping or hurting. And I think there is every reason to believe that this new mask mandate and the, the re-empowerment of the, these kind of public health fiats is going to do more harm than good and is and is a self-defeating yes. effort on the part of these authorities who are misusing the uh, misusing the authority that they have been given and are making a hash out of 
what it is that we might need from them later when people are going to go, I'm not listening to that CDC when it tells me X, Y, or Z. Because they're the ones who told me to wear a mask when I know, I know I got the goddamn vaccine. And okay. everything well, I read says that 99.5% of people who are hospitalized or dead from COVID yeah. since the vaccination took since the vaccination regime began seven months ago is unvaccinated. I am not putting a goddamn mask on again. If these people tell me I have to put a mask on again, then I'm not going to listen to them when they tell me two years from now that I need to do X, Y, or Z. Okay. It's incredibly foolish. So can I, can I back up for two yes. seconds? I, I have notes on your ad read. You um, do? Okay, thank you. I could really use notes. Um, the, the, it seems to me the better transition yes. than saying – is that paraphrasing what you said, that the only thing better than a Sufi is Tommy John underwear? Yeah. I think the, <laughs> the better way of doing this would have been to say, and the one thing you need when whirling like a Sufi is right. the kind of support that only Tommy John can offer. Because oh, I'm yeah. reminded of a story from the New York Times from over 30 years ago that had my, the entire Goldberg clan laughing so hard. Remember the original breakdancing thing where you would drop on your back and spin, right? Oh, sure. It was a very serious article in the Times, again, 30-something years ago, that said that public health work experts were worrying about an increase of cases of scrotal torsion mm. emanating from <laughs> this, this whirling. And it put me in mind of the fact that if you had the kind of support and comfort that Tommy John provides, whether you're breakdancing and in American cities or you're whirling in the lands of the Sufi, you'd be okay, and it would prevent scrotal torsion. This statement has not been evaluated. The FDI If you experience scrotal torsion or scrotal torsion over four days, please consult your doctor. Member FDIC. <laughs> Past scrotal torsion is no indication of future scrotal torsion. I saw the Whirly Dervishes once at really? the New York City Center. I did. Really? I, did they open for scrotal I did. Torsion? I had a... They, they, they have no, let me just tell, let me just explain to you what, what, what this is. Cause I had a girlfriend at the time whose father was a scholar of Turkey and the Sufis lived in sure. Turkey. Yeah. And so she wanted to go see the whirling dervishes and they, they stand on stage. Oh, they wear these long oh, white. Get it. That's not what she meant. She said, hey, take me to see the Whirling Dervish. And you're like, okay, they're at Lincoln Center. That's not, that's not what that meant. Uh, she ahead. bought the tickets. So I don't know where we're going with this. I don't know where we're going with this. I, I no, it's a euphemism. I, I wanted to see Fight Club, and she took me to see the Whirling Dervishes. Oh. Anyway, she so there are these guys. You. They wear these long white robes that sure. sort of like uh, mm -hmm. go down to their ankles. And what they do in their ecstasy and, and, and love of Allah is that they bend their heads back and they spin in place mm -hmm. for like 15 minutes and don't, unlike you, Rob, fall down and vomit. And the whole point is that yeah, they have, know. they yeah. are, well, they don't do it on stage. They probably also don't do it having eaten a big burrito. Right. Well, a halal burrito. Right. So um, yeah. the whole point is that it, because of their love of God and their mystical connection to the divine and all of this, they are able to do this without getting sick or getting dizzy. And it is a pretty amazing thing to watch for about a minute and a half. 
<laughs> and then and the music's going for 20 for 20 minutes and basically you're like rooting for them to knock into each other and that they should all fall down like bowling pins because right how is this ever going to end already and then i don't even remember how it ended but it was so boring uh that uh but 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 they but it was kind of amazing to see, and I I'd like to have one of those robes because uh, they were really very attractive, white, and they, you know you spun you around. Could, you, they made kind of like a they made kind of like a like a what do you call that? Uh, it's like a petticoat. Yeah, like a you know women like a Paris. Yeah. Yeah, went, woo, woo, woo. Like, yeah exactly. Like, anyway, that, you, could those take, are, you could take Dominican orders, and you'd be aware. I think it's Dominicans. They wear the big white robes. Mm-hmm. But but are they loose so that when you spin around they There's like tur- okay yeah they're not loose they, fair they enough they're no they're no whirling Dominicans <laughs> they don't say we don't have that okay in our culture okay well speaking of culture <laughs> Rob I this wasn't on our docket but I I, I got to bring it up because Rob and I were were talking about uh, friends of ours and he was saying do you know what these guys do. They they watch they spend the evenings and they're watching Match Game on the Buzzard Network or the Game Show Network. Right. Match Game from the seventies. I was in, admiring that because it was fun. Okay, and I, as it happens, found myself over the last two weeks watching Match Game similarly, watching Match Game on the Buzzard Game Show Network. Match Game seventy six, Match Game seventy eight, and this was one of the most amazing television programs that has ever been on the air because here's what the clothing if you could just find it just search gene rayburn the host is wearing green a green check sports jacket that's like green and white and then he has on a like a like a purple and orange shirt that's that's enough and a brown tie but you could watch as the 70s moved, like the later ones, Match Game, I'm saying Match Game 78, Match Game 79, Match Game PM, when they stopped doing the the, the, the year. The year numbers. He became more of a three-piece suity kind of guy, like more right. kind of peacocky uh, Ralph Lauren. Not Ralph Lauren, but like that was the idea, yeah. was that we're moving yeah. away from crazy leisure suits and into right. – but all the stars, yeah. of course, they had to pay for their own wardrobes. They brought their own wardrobe. And they weren't, you know, they just they they brought the the, the what was ever fashionable about two years ago. People in general in Hollywood tend to wear the clothes that were they could right. buy when they had money. Right. So anyway, this show. So there are six celebrities, and there are two, you know, there are two uh, c- contestants. And, Wait, are you, uh, are you about to describe Match Game to people? No, I just want to finish okay. the point here, which is <laughs> that the celebrities, and this is why it's so amazing. Basically. It's a gay show. Like, on any panel of six... not a game. Gay. Gay, yeah. On any panel of six, there are three gay people. Usually one flamboyantly gay man and two closeted lesbians. (laughs) Just like life. And and they... they, The questions or the the fill-in-the-blank things are, of course, all dirty. And the whole yeah. question is, are they going to lean into the filthiness, or are they going to pull back and go with cliché? 
But nobody. This, it's like, this nobody's is a question it. Scott Emmergood asks about before every <laughs> Glop podcast. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, as we remember from the cornholing episode, which yeah. we don't anyway, have I really <laughs> think that if you if you want an entertaining thing to watch this summer. Watch that. Search your search your TV I, I, guide on your TV. Like, you have to say like the dirty. Because it was very innocent, dirty. Like nobody thought Charles Nelson Riley was gay. Nobody thought Paul Lind was gay. People didn't think Liberace was gay in 1977. Right. Yeah. Um. It was just like it was just it was just kind of fun and a little bit daffy. What the most interesting thing about it is that, and I'm this is I'm, by the way this is be the last glop, from, <laughs> because I'm going to say this, that the lesbians are hilarious. <laughs> they were, which is not traditional for that group, or is no longer. Yeah, Although maybe. I have to say, and I'm now saying this, say it's not the stereotype now, we associate. Yes. With that. However, yeah. I wanted to say one thing, and I am for the first time now going to make. I'm going to stipulate that I'm saying this about someone who is a client of my wife's. My wife is a talent agent. And one of her clients is a comedian named mm-hmm. Tignataro. Oh, sure. Well, who is gay. Funny. And yeah. Tignataro has a new special out, just came out this weekend on Netflix, called Drawn. And it is an anim- fully animated stand up special. And it is screamingly funny. And I, 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 it is, first of all, it's incredibly imaginative. Because it sort of visualizes her stand-up as she's doing it while showing her doing stand-up as an animated figure on a stage. Um, But um, she's a very brilliant, very droll, very original kind of comedian. Uh, Doesn't have an axe to grind. It's not political. It's nothing. Is that it? I think that's it. Because what I think of what's funny about her is the vulnerability and the stories and the specifics of her life that she tells. Like she, t- right. it's super specific. Like, like she's not telling jokes, she's telling stories that only she could tell because they happen right. to her. Right. And, and then the minute you get a sense from the what's the horrible one, the horrible comic, Hannah Gadsby. Yeah. The minute you get the idea that it's like it's not about being funny, it's about my making a point. It just, uh, it's just, uh, I'm just, I'm done. Like I don't. What's yeah. funny? Nothing's funny about it. Anyway, I, I, I can't recommend this special highly enough. And, I, you know, it's not going to make my wife any more money if you watch it or don't watch it. Um, well, it's not loser money. Even no, know, but I was like, just – I was dazzled. Like, whatever. Okay. I was dazzled by it. And, and, and it is. She's a storyteller. And she tells this whole story about having her, having her wisdom teeth pulled that just builds and builds and builds and builds on itself like great raconteurship. But it is a stand-up routine. But a stand-up routine where every 45 seconds there's kind of like a new joke, a new fizz, and then it all comes together in the end in this like explosive... And you don't see it coming. You don't see it coming how it's building. It's sort of like my brilliant uh, description of my vertigo experience. Very similar yeah, well, to that. and she, you know, anyway, the point about Tignataro, by the way, is that she's gay, and she doesn't, she, it is, it is a matter of fact about her life, right? So, um, but what she shares with the right, right, right. gay performers on Match Game 45 years ago is... Yeah, she's like a fanny flag. They're droll. They're yeah. droll, and yeah. they're, 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 they're sharp, and they're not really playing... The game, exactly. Well, they're no, sort I mean, of slightly outside of the game. That's hap- that's that that right. that's what happens when you're getting after scale. <laughs> <laughs> but 
Oh, come on. That was the easiest gig in the world. What better it's gig is easy. there? Yeah, what is no, what? No, it's not what easy. better gig is there than a game show? There's a lot. Every no, here, I mean, it was no, a great wrong, gig to wrong. be on a game show because no, you, you enjoy did five it. shows in you one en- afternoon. You, uh, you enjoy it, but those people weren't getting uh, – they weren't leaving Match Game to go open in Vegas or be in the star of their TV show. That was it. That was their gig. It was hard. Only okay. one, the only the richest guy there was Richard Dawson, and, and he left to be a host of a game show. Can I? Everybody embarrass? else was kind of like just uh, yeah. on the, the thing, right. you know? But can I embarrass myself? Because of course that's Again? what I'm here to do. Yeah. History says yes. <laughs> <laughs> so Jonah, I read a book. You ready for this? This is this is embarrassing. Embarrassing. You can write it. As you, you know, I read Hollywood junk like there's no tomorrow, and I actually read a book called My Five Hollywood Husbands by an actress named Joyce Bullifant. Anybody sure. remember Joyce Bullifant? I'm sure, sure I remember she her. Went, she, had a, she had a... Googling now. She you know. had a uh, uh, a kind of blonde... She almost looked like a wig. She talked like this. Yeah, right. And she uh, was a gay... And there's a whole thing about how when she got herself on game shows in the 1970s, oh, yeah. it was the greatest gig she ever had because she didn't have to audition. She she didn't have to, but, like, you know, like, dollar herself up. She, made, okay. she was a day player. She she was uh, Murray Slaughter's wife on the Mary Tyler Moore show. She was a day right. player. She was recurring. She wasn't even probably – she was – you know, the, the way, way did you do these casting things, you say – Recurring, you seven out of thirteen. You do all serious. She was just—they called her up when they wanted her, and they didn't always want her. They didn't. Want, she wasn't even on that much. So, yeah, she. Yes, if you're, if if you, if, if if put it this way, if, if so she was like the show, Doris Kearns Goodwin of game show. Games. Yes, yes. And if the if it if the game if you can say, hey, this game show is the best gig I ever had, then you know, you, you, your your career is not great. So okay. I'm learning from her Wikipedia page that she was the original choice for Carol Brady on the Brady Bunch, but didn't get it. Obviously, can you believe that? Which yeah. I isn't isn't true. That she and got it, it. She did get it. That she was the first choice. The first okay. choice was the bigger name. Always. Was Foreign Sanders in the bigger name? No, no, no. The big no. The you no. Know, the bigger name. They probably wanted you know. Jane Fonda. Yeah, Jane Fonda. <laughs> they had to settle. Joan Crawford <laughs> for Florence Henderson. Um, anyway, I, I just think it's, it's, it's interesting because, you know, that out, the whole thing about comedians is that the great ones do stand at a slight remove, right? That's the whole point. They, they stand outside and they observe, they observe the, the absurdity of sort of conventional American life from a slightly skewed outsider perspective. And Jackie Mason died this weekend. And he was uh, one of the he, ultimate he, versions of this, right? He was funny. He was incredibly funny. He was a he was an impossible person as a human being. Uh, I knew him. He was intolerable to be around because he was like ja- exactly like Jackie Mason, except he wasn't funny when he was off stage. So it was like getting yelled at by an old Jewish man hmm. who knew less about everything he was yelling at you about than huh. you did. Hmm. Uh, but when he developed nice. this material, most of which was about the differences <laughs> between Jews and Gentiles. Always funny. I li- remember listening to it, listening to the tape of it, driving, and laughing so hard I really had to pull over. It was 
It was yeah. really funny. You can hear, by the way, there are multiple versions of The World According to Me, which was his great special and was his great show on Broadway. Made him the toast of New York for a couple of years until he insulted the first black mayor of New York City and kind of upended his own career for the second time after getting Ed Sullivan mad at him when he was the hottest comedian in America and thus tanked his career for the first time. Um, but you can watch it. Uh, HBO taped it, and, and there are multiple versions of it. And I don't know. You know, it's interesting to me whether somebody 15 years younger than I am or 20 years younger would still find it funny because maybe all of the reference points have changed or are missing or are different. Yeah. But, um, uh, but again, like I was just thinking that, you know, these comedians like Dave Chappelle, who is probably the most right now is probably considered the, the greatest of American comic performers and certainly makes enough money off Netflix to, you know, more money than any human being has ever made from comedy off Netflix or Chris Rock or somebody like that. And what they all share is this, they're just not quite part of, they're not fully integrated into American, you know, into sort of like the conventional leadership or the conventional American. And so they see things that, you know, ordinary people don't see about the ridiculousness of, of everyday life. Yeah, I mean, I have this standard riff. I wrote about it um, in the introduction to a book of young conservatives about how th- there's a reason why blacks, gays, Jews, and Canadians make the funniest people it's because they have to master their own minority culture and they're actually incredibly close students of majority culture and so like canadians all these canadian like comedic actors and comedians they they look they're outside the fishbowl growing up watching our tv because their tv is caillou and other things that make you want to become a serial killer and um uh and they see the connections right because they actually they see the culture from the outside but they've also kind of mastered it. And this used to be my argument for why conservatives came out of campuses on on net sharper. It's because they understood how to speak conservative, but they also had to understand how to speak liberal. Um, I don't know that the Jewish humor – I mean, that was what Seinfeld was all right. about, right? right. Was right. you right. slightly alienated Jewish yeah. humor that saw – Right. Could see the strings in, in the rest of the culture the wet, that right. were invisible to everybody else because fish don't know they're wet. Right, but Jackie Mason was a particular did something uh, uh, new in in this respect because he came out of the Borscht Belt, but he wasn't corny and he wasn't cutesy and he wasn't you know cuddly and he wasn't looking to sort of be lovable. He was kind of mean, irascible, and his joke. perspective was really cold. Yeah, he mm-hmm. had a good joke. Cold eyed. In, in the world coming to me, he had a bunch of them, but one of them I really remember when he said. Uh, uh, we're talking about Jews and Gentiles. You can always tell the Jews and Gentiles, and, and, this, and this, at the end of the show, you'll know the Jews and Gentiles. It's two ways. One is uh, the Gentiles will turn to each other and say after the show, you want to get a drink? 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 And the Jews will say, do you eat? Want to have some tea? And the second <laughs> thing is the Gentiles will turn to each other and say, he was funny. And the Jews will turn to each other and say, too Jewish. <laughs> the other great thing he said so is the, the Gentiles are sitting there laughing, and they're laughing along, and the Jew is going, He's entirely alone up there on stage. There are 800 people in this theater. It's one guy. He's on stage. How much is the ticket price? <laughs> How much does he make? My God, this is a gold. This is a gold mine. Like the Gentiles are laughing, the Jews are taking out their calculators, <laughs> trying to figure out how much money he's making. That anyway, you know, no one could say that except a Jew, and it's and it's well, funny and it's true anyway. and it's kind of cold. 
It's cold. It's yeah. not loving exactly, and it is well, definitely not. And loving. it is right. Anyway, it's just a very you know, it's just an interesting perspective. And you know what else is interesting? Sure. Or not kind of troubling the way that can kind of be troubling is the way email services kind of mm. try to take advantage of you, okay? Because, mm. like, free email services like Gmail and mm. Yahoo, they're not really free. You pay with your privacy. These companies have access to every email you send and receive, and they sell your data to the highest bidder. They know a lot about us, and it's disconcerting when you think about it. Business plans, medical records, Social Security, other sensitive information. They have access to far too much. They sell this data to target people with intrusive ads. That opens you up to identity theft and phishing attacks and more. Wouldn't you prefer a safer alternative? I know I would. So I'm going to look into StartMail to secure my email. StartMail keeps email private, period. Every email is encrypted, even if the recipient doesn't use encryption, which means big tech can't read, scan, analyze, or sell your personal information ever. Not even Big Brother can snoop around your email. StartMail also prevents government agencies from spying on you, like in Dragnet operations. With StartMail, deleted means deleted. When you delete an email, it's gone forever. And StartMail uses their own servers, not Amazon's, which means they can't be put out of business the way Parler was, or they tried with Parler. StartMail is also backed by the most stringent privacy laws in the world. You get unlimited anonymous aliases. This feature protects your main email address from spam and phishing attacks. So when you're giving your email to a company but want to protect your identity, StartMail can generate a shareable alias email so people can't sell your information and they can be deleted anytime. If you don't trust big tech, and you shouldn't, start securing your email privacy with StartMail. Sign up today, and you'll get 50% off your first year. Go to startmail.com slash glop. That's start with a T, S-T-A-R-T-M-A-I-L dot com slash glop for 50% off your first year. Startmail.com slash glop, and we thank StartMail for sponsoring the glop podcast. Uh, okay, Jeff Bezos shot himself into space, right? A couple of weeks after... Uh, Branson, Richard Branson, shot himself up into near space. Uh, I thought this was amazing. All I hear from a lot of people is, oh, his rocket looked like a penis, and he's uh, he's terrible and all of this. And uh, I'm kind of sick of it. It's better than the reverse, dude. Your penis uh, looking like a rocket. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Really? Okay, so uh, where are you guys on the, on the Bezos uh, rocketry? Well, first of all, on the heels of the um, Jackie Mason's conversation about the Jews, um, I think you really should have done it the way Mel Brooks did in History of the World Part 1 and said, billionaires in space! <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> the Jews in space, we're running around, we're running around the place. <laughs> um, yes. I, I, I honestly just have zero patience for people bitching about it. Um, like... As I keep saying, if you didn't have Gordon, the Gordon Gecko, the real life Gordon Geckos, willing to spend five thousand dollars on a garbage mobile phone that looked like a World War II radio, right? You wouldn't have gotten the iPhone, right? Great. One of the great things about rich people is they are early adopters and they are willing to spend enormous sums of money on essentially Veblen goods that eventually make them cheaper for everybody else down the road, and the commercialization of space is a great thing. This is a cool thing. I, you know, there were a bunch of people who were saying how it's so. I think it was Matt Miller or someone like that was saying, you know, it's so sad. When I was a kid watching the NASA launches, it filled me with all this national pride, and now it's billionaires doing this. And they seem to have missed the fact that for 50 years, NASA was saying that the point of the government doing this was to get to the place 
where the private sector could start doing it. And that's what's happening, and people are bitching about it, and I have zero patience for it. I, I thought it was just great. I think it's just great. I think this is a guy who has been thinking about this since high school. He made more money than anybody on Earth, and he is trying to expand the frontiers of human possibility using his wealth uh, in a in a in a manner that is both you know pleasing to him and and could have enormous positive consequences uh, for for the human race and for the 21st century and caviling about it and bitching about it just strikes me as like just the worst kind of 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 niggling humorless visionless ugliness but we cavil and nitpick about everything right i mean no one is no one is ever doing what you want them to do everyone is like crossing the line as far as like the, the all we do it seems in this culture is like look at you you're do, where's your you're doing it wrong don't do that do it the other way your kids are out of you're not good the wrong school everything is a constant constant uh like monitor of what other people are doing um I actually found myself curious. Like, I think the only thing I really – I don't really care. But the only thing I really thought was interesting is that when I was a kid – well, when we were kids because we're – you know, and, you, and the, there was that picture in the, in, the, in the Guinness Book of World Records, the richest person in the world or in America. And it was a guy named Daniel K. Ludwig, and he was a shipping billionaire and his partner was malcolm mclaren malcolm mclaren the guy malcolm mclaren was a guy who ran a, had a truck company in the south and was like once the staring at a bunch of his trucks sitting there and i think it was the savannah charleston port and took three days to unload a truck and three days to load it back off a boat and he said well why don't we just have put everything in a metal box and put the metal box on the truck and put the metal box on the plane on the on the, on the boat and then take the metal box off the boat and put the metal box on the train and he invented container shipping and he's really rich and it was a grainy black and white photograph of daniel k ludwig and he was a mysterious billionaire and that was what billionaires were they were mysterious and there's just nothing this jeff bezos is just not a mysterious person he's just a nerdy guy with lots of money like zuckerberg who does weird stuff and at least they're not mysterious i think I don't mind conspicuous consumption. I think it's kind of like I, I'm reassured by it. Yeah, it's not exactly consumption. Well, I mean, I mean that's you, the whole point. You know, it's not buying a yacht. No, right? but I mean, you know what I mean. I mean, he's, he's spending yeah. a lot of money. He's spending a lot of money, right. and yeah. he's going into space. He's not. Uh, yeah. He's not uh, uh, in a grainy black and white photograph. Here's this mysterious person who controls what, how fast you get your, you know, your book or whatever it is. Right? And like that. Uh, I think that's a positive. Okay, but all that said, I can't stand Branson. <laughs> Um, well, you I don't just, have to like it. He annoys me greatly. Um, I, I, I await the day to find out that he, it's all been a Ponzi scheme uh, <laughs> because <laughs> just, <laughs> he gives off that vibe. I don't yeah. trust him. Yeah. His hair is too important. I just I don't like him. I don't agree with you because I think Branson is a is a weird uh, example. He's a British entrepreneur. It's very hard to be an entrepreneur in Britain. Oh my God! The right. system mm -hmm. does. The system doesn't sort of allow the it. The culture hates them. The culture hates it, and he just—he was kind of like an American in a in a in a in a Britain's body, and he pursued his interests uh, in multiple fields using the same kinds of techniques that Americans use that were very much in opposition to his own 
culture's ways and pathways and he and he made a you know he made a a, a go of it I, I i do think you know one of the things like robert reich said on twitter it's like you see you spent all this money we need to tax him you know it's terrible what what his tax rate is one percent and this is awful well so it turns out that in that one of those big leaks uh, uh, that ProPublica got, where they somehow got everybody's tax returns, which is evil, shouldn't happen. These are very private documents. That Jeff Bezos had paid a billion four, one billion four hundred million dollars in taxes between 2006 and 2018. Right. So over right. 12 years, right. he had paid a billion four. So he was paying well over a hundred million dollars a year on average. In taxes, the idea is he's worth 166 billion, so he's not paying anything in taxes. Except, of course, you tax income; you don't tax passive holdings in stock. Right. So he made money, and he paid more taxes on that money than probably anybody else in America. And 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 Robert Reich is, you know, getting on his right. step stool to he, be, you know, roughly he, the height of Mighty Mouse to attack. Jeff Bezos for not paying enough in taxes. Look who, uh, look who's hashtag Team Bezos, huh? What's going on? You there? know, I, I don't know. I just, I, it's, it's more that I dislike his critics than that I, well, also, than like, that I like him. I think can't we say now finally? I mean, in, in terms of even, I mean, I'm, I'm, I am not the, uh, the policy maven on this podcast, but can't we honestly say, like, no matter, what there. There isn't any restraint on how much money we spend on pro- on social property. There's no restraint. No one's cutting any budgets. There's, we're just. We, I think we just spent twenty seven trillion dollars in a half an hour at some point. And 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 the uh, the austerity arguments are we should only spend six trillion instead of a ten trillion. So it's like it's not like. I mean, I, can't we finally say, well, whatever our problems are, they they cannot be solved by money because we just spent trillions and are about to spend trillions more. No one is saying let's not spend it. People are tripping over themselves to spend another trillion. So, if, like, how? Just, that's not our problem, right? If 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 the if the ballpark number that the Democrats want to spend on infrastructure, hard and soft, um, goes through, it will be greater than the entire federal budget was in 2019. <laughs> and that's on the yeah. heels of trillions of spending we've already done. Right. Um, it's it's all it's all make believe stuff, and that's why I should talk about our next sponsor, Gold. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what our next sponsor is, though. I'm sorry, we're not going to talk about Gold, but we are going to talk about your the fair Jessica's home state, uh, Alaska, and the Wild Alaskan Company. Because we all know we should be eating more fish to get our omega-3s and protein. But the seafood counter can be intimidating. Which fish tastes the best? What type of cut? Can you really be sure about the quality, where it actually came from? Cut out the guesswork by making Wild Alaskan Company your own private fish market. Wild Alaskan Company delivers high-quality, sustainably sourced, wild-caught seafood right to your door. Choose from salmon, whitefish, or a combination. And every month, there are different specials to explore. Each shipment contains premium wild-caught individually wrapped portions of delicious seafood that's ready to prepare and easy to cook wild alaskan company seafood is how nature intended it to be always wild never farmed or modified contains no antibiotics 
you can pause, adjust, or cancel your membership anytime, and they offer 100% satisfaction guaranteed to your money back. Get your nutrition from nature with Wild Alaskan Company, and right now you can get $15 off your first box of premium seafood when you visit wildalaskancompany.com slash glop. That's wildalaskancompany.com slash glop for $15 off your first box. Wildalaskancompany.com slash glop. Make sure to use our URL to let them know we sent you. And we thank Wild Alaskan Company for sponsoring the Glop podcast. Uh, Jonah, you saw Black Widow. I saw Black Widow, too. What did you think? I have Vertigo. <laughs> well, there's a, there, isn't there a supervillain named Vertigo or a superhero named Vertigo or something? Could Rob? I feel like there well, there's a comic a... book company called Vertigo. I don't yes, know. Anyway. for sure. Okay. Um, All right. Uh, I like. It. I mean, it was fun to go with my daughter. She really wanted to see it. Our, both of us thought it was a little too forced, and um, um, I did not discuss this with my daughter, but I was impressed that a female-directed, women-empowering movie had the camera spend so much time focused on the heroine's derriere. Um, I just thought that was an interesting choice. Um, it was, uh, I mean, the the the... I felt the feminist stuff was a little too forced and didactic for me, you know, all about curtailing women's choices and metaphor, metaphor, metaphor. Um, but eh, it was a fun time at the movies. And I have no profound things to say about it. Do you? Uh, I thought it was not very good. I thought that Florence Pugh, who played Scarlett Johansson's sister, was fantastic. Apparently she will be Black Widow going forward, since yeah. you can have other people be, be superheroes instead of the original superheroes. And Black Widow died in the Avengers movie. Right, so they, and and so she's great. She's really funny. She's very commanding. I David Harbour, who's the who's the chief of police in Stranger Things, who plays this Soviet era superhero gone to seed, uh, I thought was really funny. And other than that, I thought it was pretty, pretty lame. I also thought that the Russian accents from time to time yeah. uh, disappeared. <laughs> um, and then right. But that happened with Scarlett Johansson, who's played this role in eight movies, started with a Russian accent, then she didn't have one. Then in the third movie, she had one, then she dropped it entirely. And the weirdest thing in the movie is that it starts out, it's in Ohio, these two girls are are young American girls. It turns out they're not really. It's a plot stolen from the Americans, the show, where they're actually Russian kids living in America with Russian parents. But they speak totally flawless English without an accent. So they grow up, and we see them as grown-ups. And Scarlett Johansson has no accent. And Florence Pugh, who was playing her younger sister, speaks in a Russian accent through the entire movie. Which doesn't make any sense because she grew up speaking English and wouldn't have a Russian accent. But, you know, who who is who's to say, I guess. And Rob looks so bored. This is why I wanted to do this was to, no, no, to bore I, him. No, I, no, uh, I, have, I have vertigo. <laughs> well, this movie would give you vertigo because half of it takes place, by the way, on like, there's like a, a, a spaceship for no reason. Yeah, this floating airship base thing, which makes no it's sense. A well, there's a lot of reasons for, uh, for an a evil person. For yeah, there's yes, a lot of reasons for all that stuff, and for, probably for some of the shots, which I didn't see. But all these, every single thing that was been made, that's been in production in the past 18 months, has been recut, reshot, re storyboarded for COVID. 
So the, you, you want to have a, the smallest set possible. You want to have a lot of, like, single shots. You know, you, you like it was really hard to do. So part, it's part of the reason why they finished it. I think they finished this movie two years ago. It's just been sitting there waiting Man, to be re- released. Nothing's finished. You just do it. Right. They reshoots, you know. They're reshoots. Okay. Well, uh, anyway, it's supposed to make you think of the base in Moonraker, which is the old James Bond oh movie from 1979, uh, which is. Um, is peculiar uh, because Moonraker was kind of stupid, also, except for the zero gravity sex scene. Um, which is also which true I about my no, dinner with Andre. But <laughs> I have no transition from that to the to our final advertiser, Critical Race Theory. dot com. Critical Race Theory sweeping American higher education at Wake Forest University. The Department of Mathematics and Statistics has implemented anti-racist math coursework. In spring 2021, the University of New Hampshire began offering a class on racism and science, and the University of Pittsburgh's medical school has even added a vow against system racism to the 2,500-year-old Hippocratic Oath. It's happening at universities across the country and across curricula from history to architecture, from medicine to economics. Critical race theory, the idea that America is an inherently racist country and that each American must be reprogrammed to dispel his or her intrinsic racism is opposed by an overwhelming majority of Americans, yet leaders in higher education continue to impose this radical ideology on students and faculty alike. Founded by a Cornell Law professor, criticalrace.org, excuse me, I misnamed it at the beginning, criticalrace.org is the definitive resource for students, parents, alumni, university donors, and all Americans concerned about the continued creep of critical race theory in higher education. The investigative journalists at Legal Insurrection Foundation provide you at criticalrace.org with the latest updates on how individual schools are implementing critical race training, how local, state, and federal governments are getting involved, and how some parents and states are fighting back. To stop this toxic and un-American ideology, we must be diligent. Criticalrace.org is the resource you need to stay informed about this assault on higher education in America. Don't delay. Visit criticalrace.org today. That's criticalrace.org. And we thank criticalrace.org for sponsoring the GLOP podcast now we are we gotta go uh jonah's doing tv i believe i am uh and uh, rob has vertigo i have vertigo so he needs to be a hero and and well i had to say just not that you care um but i uh tuesday when i was a week ago when i was absolutely in the grip of it i was i did i was a co-hosting or guest hosting or co-guest co-hosting on a three martini lunch for jim garrity and i was uh, at this very desk leaning over sweating the whole thing is covered it was like unbelievable and i immediately the minute i i, I hung up i went and, and and vomited and i i just i don't think i'm gonna do that now today today I don't know. I feel I feel like that's a comment on the ineffectuality of today's show. Um, I, you know that I can't. I'm not inside your head. I can't make. You, okay, I can't make you see enough. what I see. Fair enough. So, uh, so uh, Jonah, you will have been on special report uh, before people hear this. Uh, do you have any other? No, I have nothing else to report. But um, if you, I have to come up with, you know, there's this gimmick they now have at special report where I have to come up with. Tomorrow's headlines. Uh-huh. So, if any, are you guys have any suggestions for tomorrow's headlines for me? Are they supposed to be funny, or are they supposed they prefer to be accurate? What, they prefer it when I go funny because mm-hmm. I know you find this shocking, but many, many guests on uh, television um, can't do funny. Um, so, if you have any, you know, sort of 
CDC announces that all dogs must be masked or something. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, let me know. Vertigo replaces COVID as key threat to American yeah, it could be. health. Um, Donald Trump promises to endorse Mike Pence. Uh, Elise Stefanik. No, that wouldn't work. Uh, okay. Kevin McCarthy spins so hard he suffers scrotal torsion. <laughs> that's that's, that's yeah. good. Yeah, that's I'm good. not going to do that. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Uh, uh, Joe Biden uh, is coherent. Joe <laughs> Biden is incoherent. Yeah. Joe Biden. Uh, I, I'm telling you, the this packet of uh, of clips of Joe Biden sounding uh, demented uh, is growing larger by the day. Uh, there was this thing where it sort of sounded like he said something about his butt the other day. And I saw Snopes or one of those sort of fact-checking things say, well, yeah, it did sound like that, but he, he couldn't have meant it. <laughs> <laughs> so and they didn't say it was false. They yeah. didn't say that the accusation that he had said something about his butt was, was false because it sounded like it. But, um, but he did call um, some reporter a pain in the neck because she asked him a question that wasn't in the category of question that he had demanded that he be asked. Right. He said, he you're a pain that. in the neck, but I've known you a long time, so I'm going to answer your question, which I think was about COVID or something. It was totally a legitimate I feel like I was – I feel like – Maybe he has Lenox, Yeah, I feel like when I was at Lenox Hill, he was in the next bed. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of how I feel. Okay. Well, Rob, I'm sorry I didn't visit you at Lenox Hill. No. I wish – I, you know, but, you know – I was out soon. I, I, was only, I was really only in for about 36 hours. That's great. And I was not in the hospital. Jonah, you were not in the hospital? I was not in the hospital. Okay. Well, Rob, once again, you know. I win the hospital sweepstakes. You, you, you do win the hospital sweepstakes. So uh, this is a weird way to end, but I guess we need to end now. So we're going to end. <laughs> <laughs> elegant. So elegant. Yes. <laughs> Goodbye. And right after this, I'm going to ask you, uh, how was it? How was, how was This is up to snuff for like match game 79 right yeah. now. This is great stuff. <laughs> how was, uh, this how is was, Johnny yeah. Edwards. How was, how was Gloth? And then all the generals said, pretty funny. And you say, too Jewish. <laughs> <laughs> Sei gesund, everybody.
you guys do a duo while I was gone? No, yeah. because because Rob because Rob Rob oh, is a okay. Rob is a Vertigo hero. I felt ill. Yeah. yeah. Pretty hero. Yeah. 